Listen now to the words from the letter of Paul to the Galatians. Paul, an apostle, neither sent by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the members of God's family who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself from our, for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are, and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let that one be accursed. As we've said before, so now I repeat, if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, let that one be accursed. Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If we are still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth, O God, and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. May your message come forth and touch us all. Amen. How many of you have ever asked someone, is this normal? <laughs> the funny thing is, as well, thinking about that question, I just went ahead and started typing it into Google. Is this normal? And there are websites dedicated to people going on there and posting things saying, is it normal to feel this way? Is it normal for my boss to do this? Is it normal for my toes to look like this? There's something inside of each of us that wonders, am I okay? Am I all right? Do I fit in? There's part of me that really doesn't want to stick out when I'm doing something new. I don't want to be the one who is awkward or flailing about, and so sometimes that means that before I do something new, I research it immensely. An example is the first time I went stand-up paddleboarding. Y'all may have seen some of them on the Potomac, but it's like a long surfboard and people stand on it and balance and have a long paddle that they maneuver themselves around with. Well, the first time I was gonna do it in Austin, I thought, well, okay, I don't know how to do this, but I just don't want to look awkward. So I watched YouTube videos about the best way to stand up from kneeling, and I um, kind of practiced a little at, the, at, the, at home before I went. But then also I looked up pictures to see what do people wear when they're doing it? Because I didn't want to show up and like, you know, just a bathing suit, but other people always wear board shorts or a t-shirt or... What, do they wear shoes? Do they not wear shoes? What kind of life jacket? I just didn't want to look abnormal. I think for most of us, normality or familiarity is something we're drawn to. 
We want to fit in, and a lot of times we want other people to be like us because it affirms that what we're doing is right, that we're secure and safe in the decisions that we're making. Paul's letter to the Galatian churches is addressing this, the disparity of different normalities, different ideas of what it looks like to be a normal Christian. So although John Kelly's voice is very pleasant, and it's hard to imagine him doing anything than being calm and collected, Paul is not calm and collected. And as Andrea pointed out, he is texting in all caps, saying, listen up, look at what I am about to say, I'm not happy. It is one of the harshest letters found in the New Testament. It's filled with fierce disappointment and even anger. He even calls them foolish several times and calls down curses upon people who are not adhering to what he taught. Paul previously founded the churches in Galatia and ministered to them by sharing the gospel, its message, but also his own story, how the gospel had transformed his life and changed him. But then other teachers came along, visiting these new, these new churches, and they were teaching, like Andrea told our kids, that there were other requirements to be saved, that it didn't stop just at the gospel, but it continued with adhering to different traditions, including circumcision, eating particular things, going to temple. One can imagine the frustration that Paul would have felt, starting an organization, training its leaders, celebrating its progress, seeing what changes have happened in these people's lives, and then to find out that someone new has come along and has set things off a bit. They're not producing the good fruits that they once were. Instead, he's hearing of confusion and fear. Paul is pained at this, just as a parent would be or a creator of something when it goes wrong. And he wants to set this church back towards the gospel. And from the beginning of the letter, Paul is building a rebuttal of what has been dismissed, claiming his message again. He dives directly into the issue at hand. Oftentimes, Paul will start out a letter, and once he does the greeting, he starts giving thanks, commending people, encouraging them, saying, I've heard that you've done this, and I'm so grateful for it. But in this letter, there is no time of thanks. There's no recognition of the good things they have done. Instead, he jumps right in. I am astonished that you are so quickly dismissing the one who called you in the grace of Christ, and you are turning to another gospel. How do we know what gospel is right? Or what is the true gospel message? Paul writes, though, that there's not another gospel— There's only one gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So Paul has summarized his gospel right before jumping into this in his greeting. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for our sins, set us free from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. Often sin is spoken about, focusing on the guilt that we individually or as communities experience, the pain our failings cause in our lives and in the lives of those around us. But this passage describes the result of God's grace in Christ that is setting us free from powers over us, not necessarily just shame or guilt. Declaring that Jesus is Lord, our absolute master, is saying that nothing else can be Lord over us. If the ruler is the one who has set us free and we're subject only to him, then we are free from that which brought us in. How often are the things that we express as sin done because we have declared something else in our lives, Lord, instead of Christ? Money, the desire to please others, politics, fame, wanting to feel needed, pride, material possessions, achievements, perfectionism, a want to be an innovator, an innovator, or wanting to always be right. The list goes on and on and is as diverse as our personalities, and most of us have some type of fear that drives us. But things that can motivate us to do good work can be used to create rules for ourselves to keep us from the sin, to keep us from the guilt. And it is exactly those powers over us that cause us to desire the law, that cause us to want to come up with these rules to keep us from the sin. Paul says to the Gentiles here, the Galatians, it is the very thing that Christ set you free from that is causing these teachers to come and tell you that you must follow these laws and commands. Scholars have a few theories about who these teachers are, but one of the predominant, most accepted ones is that these are Jewish individuals who have converted to Christianity, and they are hoping that by spreading the Jewish practices to these Gentiles in Galatia and the church, that they will not be persecuted by other zealous Jews who are seeing them participating in worship with people who are unclean, not part of the people of God. It is spreading their normal to the other Christians to feel safe and secure. Fear is a strong motivator. And often, our strongest fears come from that which is different, that which is not normal for us. The gospel is meant to be brought to all, all those who are different. And so it's a story of meeting people and embracing them. And time and time again, when we minister to those who are different from us, we often come out with our gospel, one that has been shaped to look like us, to make us feel more comfortable. If you think back to the 14th century and the New World, missions were established and resources 
such as education or care, medical care or food were given to Native Americans or other indigenous people if they would convert, but not just by belief, but by wearing Western clothes, by practicing traditions of the people who were bringing the religion, of saying goodbye to their own culture. And even more recently, Western missionaries have gone and brought the message to other cultures across the globe and have said, Christianity looks like this. We worship this way. We have a piano and we sing hymns, and that's how it works. And you wear your nice dresses and you wear Western clothes. Missiology obviously has shifted, and we have proof of that just from some of the ministries that our church is involved with, where we hear of the lively music and instruments that are native to those countries being used to worship God. But it's something that we as Christians have done for a long time, brought our message, our gospel, instead of just proclaiming the truth of Christ. And just like the Western culture for those Christians who were missionaries was not wrong for them, the Jewish, keeping Jewish traditions for these teachers who went into Galatia is not wrong for them. But what was at stake for Paul was that when they forced their beliefs of having to do more, their own gospel, what was further than the root of the gospel, that the freedom that Paul had declared was taken away from them. When we believe and proclaim Christ as Lord of our lives, Lord is no longer a ruler ordering and directing our lives with coercive power, but we're subject to a loving parent. We are free. We don't need to have those rules enforced upon us. We follow the call of Christ, and we're embraced into a family. Paul says it's a fulfillment of the gospel that was first declared to Abraham, that all nations would be blessed in him. And that is grace, but grace is a relationship. It isn't something God gives to us, but it is God giving of God's own self to us in relationship. To be with, to be with in Christ Jesus, or for God to be with us in Christ Jesus, even unto death on a cross and everlastingly in life after, that is what grace is, that eternal relationship. But that grace is what eliminates special categories. It provides this commonality. It's based on something other than ethnic, social, economic distinctions. This is the letter where Paul says, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is a new unity formed by the root of the gospel. It's the one gospel, but we still create our own gospel message, catered towards our understandings, our understanding of normality, 
Paul is talking about the gospel having inherent authority, not ascribed authority. He writes, Even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let that one be accursed. As we have said before, so now I repeat, if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. Those curses, that's a little bit of pressure for preachers and teachers, making you feel like, wow, I better get this right. (laughs) But really, he is saying that the gospel is not given authority because we give it authority. The gospel has its own authority, and that is what makes it the one gospel. Something with ascribed authority only has authority because those who accept it give it that authority. Think about all the different Christian documents, creeds, um, statements, covenants that so many churches have. They're given authority by the body that writes them and agrees upon them. And then that's something that binds that group in unity. But what binds us all in unity is the power of God Biblical scholar Charles Kosar calls the gospel Paul is rebuking domesticated gospel. I like that term because it implies that the gospel has been coaxed or trained, taught to work for us, taken over by politics or culture or just an individual's ideas. And it's not saying that the gospel can't change for different people, that it can't be altered in a sense to communicate with different people. We're all made up of our own experiences. Different things speak to us. But it's that the root that is deep within God's love for us, that outpouring of grace, never changes. And it unites all of our differences. No one decides whether the gospel has authority. It is Christ, and it is about Christ. It is the grace for all people. I think about the way that we treat Christianity, how we make it our own gospel. There are some of us who the gospel is rooted in one of high moral standards. For some of us, the gospel is social justice. For some of us, the gospel is security and an afterlife raising a family, service. For some, it is creation care. For some, it is stewardship of resources. For some, it is a deep study of scripture. For some, it is fervent prayer and the leading of the spirit. 
For some, it's directly tied to political agendas. For some, it is activism. For some, it is patriotism. For some, it is subverting the structures of the day. The thing is, is the gospel works in each of us and into every area of our life. But what Paul is challenging us today is to not compare our normal to others' normal. It's to unite in the root of the gospel that sets us free. We say we can embrace diversity, and that's what the gospel message is, this building out of the family of God and us coming together in love and grace. But are we really prepared to accept those who are different from us into our community? It means that when we pray, that we pray for all. When we're up here and we remember 9-11 today, we don't pray just for those who are missing at our tables, but we pray for the lives that were lost around the world, the ones that didn't believe what we believe. It means that we mourn the lives of those in Syria, means that we mourn the lives of those in Africa. Today and every day, because the gospel means that we are all God's beloved and God wants the best and fullest life for each of those people. And so I challenge us to think about what is at the root of our personal gospel. Is it the grace of Christ? Is it something that can unite us together? Or do we need to ask ourselves, am I now seeking human approval? Am I trying to please people? Paul asks himself that and asks the Galatians and calls them to unity in Christ. Let us pray. God, who is Father of all, we ask this morning and this week that you embrace us. God, we ask that the gospel of freedom from sin and powers that oppress is prevalent among us and that we can take that gospel message and spread it. But God, as we are diverse in how we carry out the tasks of our lives, as we are diverse in what normal is for us, may we be bound in unity with those across the world who we may not see eye to eye to. May we hold fast to your grace and your love. May we be the people of God. We pray these things in your Son, who is the gospel. Amen.